Spiritual Sword Media presents The Anchor of the Soul with Mike Hickson, preacher for the Olive Branch Church of Christ in Olive Branch, Mississippi. And now, Mike Hickson. The Great Commission is somewhat of a forgotten commandment, unfortunately, among some of God's people. And yet, I believe it is just as pertinent as when it was given nearly 2,000 years ago. When you look at Mark 16 in what might be called a companion passage, Jesus instructed to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He said, he that believes and is baptized shall be saved, and those who disbelieve, he said, would be lost or condemned. But in verse 20, the Bible tells us that those early disciples went out and preached everywhere. From that, I take it to mean that the early church, those who initially became followers of the Lord, they took to heart the Great Commission. Sometimes we need to be reminded of our obligations as God's people, the importance of carrying forth the gospel of Christ. After all, we have the greatest message known to man. There are three things that I want to share with you in our study today. First of all, we want to talk about the gospel is a message from one who has all power, or as we might say, all authority. The Savior, Jesus, is the one who ultimately issued the Great Commission. And Jesus is the one that we are to listen to, to hear, to adhere to what he has to say. In Matthew 28, verse 18, Jesus would say, All power, all authority has been given unto me in heaven and on earth. During his earthly ministry, we read of him being transfigured before Peter, James, and John. And the Bible tells us that a voice came forth from heaven. God the Father, of course, spoke out. And God the Father said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear him. Whatever the Lord says, we want to hear. And not only do we want to hear what he has to say, but we want to put into action what he has said. And so we take to heart the Great Commission. And we take it to heart because Jesus is the one who gave the instructions. When we talk about carrying the gospel into a lost and dying world, I think one of the things that we would do well to remember is that we are carrying forth a message on behalf of King Jesus. We are members of the kingdom of God. The kingdom that we belong to is a spiritual kingdom. It's not an earthly kingdom. Jesus said that much before Pontius Pilate. He said in John 18, verse 36, my kingdom is not of this world. We're talking about a spiritual kingdom. And those of us who belong to this kingdom, we are under King Jesus. He is our king. He is the Lord, if you please of our lives. And so whatever he says, whatever he does, we want, as I said a moment ago, to put it into action. What about carrying forth the Great Commission on behalf of King Jesus? Let me give you what I believe to be four things related to the message that we are carrying forth on behalf of King Jesus. Number one, Jesus has equipped us with a message that is all-powerful. It is a message that is unequaled in power. The Apostle Paul, probably one of the greatest preachers to have ever lived, if not the greatest preacher outside of Jesus, 
said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation. To everyone that believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek in Romans 1 verse 16. In Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12, the Bible tells us, speaking of this word, that it is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. Paul talks about how the word of God is compared to a sword. He said the sword of the spirit in Ephesians 6 verse 17. What we have to do is unsheathe the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, and use it on the hearts and lives of people. When I think about the power of the gospel, I, I contemplate individuals whose lives have been marred by sin and unrighteousness. Some who are steeped in a life of sin. And yet this message has the power to literally bring them to their knees and submit to the teaching of Almighty God. Look, look at where the gospel went in the first century. Note, if you would, the cities, the regions, the people that had the opportunity to hear, believe, and obey the gospel. Let me give you one example. The city of Corinth. Corinth was well known for their debauchery. Here was a city that was steeped in immorality. And yet Luke tells us in chapter 18 of the book of Acts that many of the Corinthians hearing, believed, and were baptized. What happened? Well, Paul went into the city of Corinth, he preached the gospel to those people, they heard it, they believed it, and they obeyed its message. And as a result of that, their sins were washed away. Talk about power. It's a powerful message. Secondly, it is a message of pardon. What do people need to hear when they are suffering the effects, the consequences of sin and unrighteousness? What do people need to hear when they realize their lives are shattered well, they need a message of hope, don't they? The gospel is a message of hope. There are countless numbers of people in our society today that if you were to ask them to be very frank or very honest with you, they would tell you they are a lost cause. I can assure you there are numbers of people in prison today whose lives have been destroyed because of sin. And they view themselves in many instances as a lost cause. Well, let me tell you what. The gospel has redeeming power. There is power in the gospel. And the, the byproduct of a gospel message is it can produce pardon in the lives of people. What, what do people need? Well, what it, go back and look at the city of Corinth. When Paul wrote to the saints in Corinth, he talked about in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 how those who were living in adultery and fornication and idolatry, those who were living in homosexuality, individuals whose lives were consumed by stealing and drunkenness and reveling, he talked about individuals who were living in the world but he said, you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord and by the Spirit of our God. What happened? Here were people that had been living in sin, but they had obeyed the gospel, and thus they enjoyed freedom, deliverance, based on the blood of Christ. 
Again, we look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 through 4, where Paul really sums up the gospel message. He said, in short, it's the death of Christ, that Christ died for our sins according to the, to the scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised again on the third day according to the scriptures. We take that message into communities all across this world, and we share with them the fact that Jesus died on a cross. He was resurrected the third day, and that because of his great love, he wants us to share this message. He wants those who are living in sin to be saved. And those who have honest and good hearts respond accordingly. Let me give you a third, I believe, viable trait of this great message. It is a message of peace. Back in Isaiah chapter two, Isaiah talks about how the church, the kingdom of God, is viewed as an exalted mountain into which all nations would flow. We know that the church is comprised of both Jews and Gentiles. That was God's eternal plan. One of the great characteristics of the church is it is a peaceable kingdom. You remember when, you remember when the angels of God announced the birth of Christ? They said, peace on earth, goodwill toward man. Wouldn't it be nice to live in a world filled with peace? Think for a moment about how in our, in our society, in our world. People are constantly at war, constantly fighting and bickering and hurting one another. Is there a message that could somehow bring about peace in our world today? That's not a message that, it's not a message that politicians have. It's not, it's not a message that originated in the minds of mankind, but there is a message that can produce peace between people. That message didn't originate in the Quran, but rather it did originate in the gospel of Jesus Christ. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter two, speaking of Christ, he came and preached peace. There is a sense in which those who obey the gospel enjoy horizontal peace, peace with one another. But then there is also vertical peace, the peace that we enjoy with Jehovah God because sin separates us from God according to Isaiah 59 verses one and two. When we obey the gospel of Christ, the Bible says we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ in Romans five verses one and two. Now, look around in our world today. Look at the problems that we have faced in our country because of war and because of hatred and envy and strife and all of these other things. Is there a message that could eradicate that? Yes, there is. What is that message? Is it the teaching of Muhammad? No, it's the teaching of Jesus. When we talk about recommitting ourselves to the Great Commission, we need to understand that we have the answer to change many of the ills and the problems and the heartaches of our world today. The problem is sin. The answer is the gospel. And then a fourth, I believe, trait of this gospel me message is that it is a message that performs. I believe that this book that we call the Bible can do what God intends for it to do. 
And that is, it can bring about sweeping changes in the lives of people. In Isaiah 55, Isaiah said centuries ago that God's word would not return to him void. Do you believe that? Paul said to the church at Corinth, I planted, Apollos watered, God gave the increase. I believe that if I do my part, God will do his part. What is my part? My part is the dissemination of the gospel of Christ to unsheathe the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, to take, that world to, a law, to take that Word to a lost and dying world, to share it with people in anticipation of the fact that it will fall on good and honest hearts and bring forth fruit. A second thing that I believe we see in Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20, we talk about the gospel as a message from one who has all power. It is also a message for all people. What about the scope of the Great Commission? You ever thought about the scope of the Great Commission? Jesus said, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Everywhere we go, by land or sea, we are confronted with people. We see individuals who are black, who are white, who are rich, who are poor, who are educated and uneducated. We see people of all different kinds, shapes, forms. But here's the beauty of the gospel message. It's for all of them. Again, Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. I believe everyone should have access to the gospel of Christ. First of all, think if, if you would with me about the immensity of the task. When Jesus said go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature, when he said go therefore and make disciples of all nations, he's saying that you and I have a global responsibility. The responsibility is that we are to share the gospel with every person on every continent on this globe. That is a huge responsibility. We live in a world today that is comprised of over six billion people. I can't even begin to process that. We talk about living in DeSoto County and the number of people that live in this county numbering in the thousands. We talk about living in some cities like Los Angeles, and we're talking about individuals numbering in the millions, some 15 to 18 million people. The city of Miami, maybe three to five million people. Again, masses of people. The enormity of this task is mind-boggling. And yet Jesus believed that his disciples could accomplish this task. Otherwise, he would have never issued it. Had Jesus not believed in his people, he would never have given us what we call the Great Commission. Now, I will freely grant that sometimes when we think about living in a world that is comprised of six billion people, it is overwhelming. When, when you begin to think about trying to reach the masses, but is it possible? Well, I think it's possible. If you go back and you look at the people who lived in the first century, how did they travel? By jet airplane? 
Did they have automobiles? Did they have motorcycles and scooters? No. Did they have telephones? No. Well, what about a computer? Didn't have that either. They didn't have the modern-day luxuries, the modern-day technologies that we have today. And yet they took to heart the Great Commission. I cited a moment ago Mark 16, verse 20, where the disciples went out and preached everywhere. On Pentecost Day, some 3,000 souls yielded obedience to the gospel of Christ, according to Acts chapter 2, in verse 41. In Acts chapter 4, at verse 4, we read that the number of men came to about 5,000. In Acts chapter 6, at verse 7, the Bible tells us that the number of disciples multiplied or increased greatly in the city of Jerusalem. Many of the priests became obedient to the faith. In Acts chapter 8, a great persecution swept the early church. And the Bible tells us in chapter 8 at verse 4 that those who were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the word. In verse 5, Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ unto the people. Now if you go back and look at Acts chapter 1 verse 8, Jesus had said that the apostles would be his witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the uttermost part of the earth. Did they accomplish the task before them? In Colossians chapter 1, Paul said, and Paul wrote the book of Colossians in about A.D. 62. So within a time frame of about 30 years, almost 30 years from the death of Christ and the issuance of the Great Commission, Paul could say that the gospel was preached to the then known world. Every creature under heaven had the opportunity to hear the gospel of Christ. What about us today? We talk about the immensity of this task. Is it possible for us to communicate, to communicate the gospel to a lost and dying world? Absolutely. Look at the, the many means of technology available to us today. We have radio, television, the internet. So many technologies right at our fingertips. All we have to do is employ them. What about some ingredients for, for accomplishing this task? What is it that you and I need individually to share the gospel with a lost and dying world? Let me just pause here and say this. When we talk about taking the gospel to the world, Taking the gospel to the world begins individually. And the gospel and the world for you and me are neighbors, friends, family members, co-workers, schoolmates, people that we interact with on a daily basis. Let me pause here and ask this question. Do you know anyone who's not a member of the, of the, of the Lord's church? Do you happen, to go, do you happen to, to, to go to school with anyone who's not a Christian? Do you work with anyone who's not a Christian? Do you buy your groceries from anyone who's not a Christian? Do you walk with someone on a regular basis who's not a Christian? 
Do you go to the gym and work out with people who are not Christians? The bottom line is this. We are living and interacting on a daily basis with people who are not members of the body of Christ. They know nothing about New Testament Christianity. You and I have the opportunity to share the greatest message known to man to a lost and dying world. What would it take for us to do this? Number one, it takes faith in the Lord. Go back and look at the writings of the Apostle Paul. Let me just give you one verse. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 13, Paul said, we believe, therefore speak. And the idea is this, we believe because we believe, because we have this deep and abiding faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, in the power of his word, in the redemptive plan, we speak. Can you imagine somebody trying to, to prohibit those saints in the first century from teaching and preaching the gospel of Christ? In Acts chapter 5, we read about the apostles who were beaten because of their testimony for the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, for sharing the gospel with the lost and dying world. And the Bible says, and daily in the temple. And from house to house, they cease not teaching Jesus Christ as Lord. Publicly and privately, they were getting the message out. Nobody was going to inhibit them from teaching and preaching about Jesus Christ. Why? Because they had such deep faith in the Lord. Do we have that kind of unwavering faith that says we believe, therefore we speak. We're gonna speak a word on behalf of the Lord. Number two, not only do we need faith in the Lord, but we need some fire for the Lord. Back in the book of Psalms, the psalmist said on one occasion, revive us again. I think some of us may need reviving. In other words, somebody needs to set a fire under us, metaphorically speaking. We need some fire, some passion, some enthusiasm, some, some excitement for what we believe. Back in the book of Jeremiah, in Jeremiah chapter 20 at verse 9, here's what Jeremiah said. And, and if you look at the, the teaching of Jeremiah, Jeremiah was persecuted for sharing a message of doom with the southern kingdom of Judah. He was telling those people they're going into captivity. They didn't want to hear it. And so what they do? They persecuted him. And so in Jeremiah chapter 20 verse 9, the prophet said, if I say I will make mention of him no more. I will speak no more in his name. Then his word was in my heart like a fire, a burning fire. And he said, I was weary with holding it in. And he said, and I could not. What was Jeremiah saying there? He was saying, on the one hand, I've resolved, I'm not gonna say another word about, about what the Lord wants me to say. I'm not gonna go out, I'm not gonna teach, I'm not gonna preach, I'm not saying another word. But he said that word was burning so deeply in his heart, he could not contain it. He had to share it, he had to speak it. What about us? Do we have that kind of zeal, that kind of enthusiasm? In Acts chapter 17, verse six, the Bible tells us 
A charge was made against Paul and Silas by those in Thessalonica. They said, these men that have turned the world upside down have come here too. Look at our world today and look at all the problems and the difficulties and, and the troubles of our nation, of our world. You want to see a better world? You want to see a changed nation? You want to see a society that's back in place? Preach the gospel. Teach Christ. Tell people. Here's a message that can change your life. Here's a message that can change the world that we live in. But we've got to have some fire. We've got to believe that this message is the greatest message known to man. We've got to see people as human souls. They're either going to spend eternity in heaven or hell. Every time you look someone in the eyes, you need to see a human soul. You need to recognize, you need to realize that that person is either going to spend eternity in heaven or hell. And you may very well be the link to lead them to heaven. And then thirdly, we need to be fervent in the Lord. In Romans chapter 12 at verse 11, Paul said, not slothful in diligence, but fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. We need to put some fervency in our step. I do not know how much time I have left here on planet Earth. I know one thing, time is running out. Every day I draw closer to eternity. Paul said that we must redeem the time because the days are evil. At some point in time in, in, the, in the future, if the Lord delays his coming, we're going to step out into eternity. That's why Jesus said, I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. For the night comes when no man can work. He's talking about death there. And he's saying as long as you're alive, you need to work. You need to do what you can because the night comes when no man can work, when death is coming. There may be people that you know right now that will be in heaven because of your influence. But what you have to do is exercise that influence, not tomorrow, not next week, not next month, not next year, today. Begin today. And then thirdly, let me just close by saying the gospel is a message for all periods. Here we're talking about the support for carrying out the Great Commission. Jesus said, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. As long as this world stands, as long as we continue to preach and teach the gospel of Christ, guess what? We've got a companion. That companion is the Lord. The Lord said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Go back and read Joshua chapter 1. When Joshua assumed the role of a leader among the Israelite nation, he was stepping into the shoes of Moses. And those were some big shoes to fill. God said unto Joshua in the long ago, I will never leave you nor forsake you. When we do our job, we need to understand that God is right beside us. The Lord is right beside us every step of the way. Doing what? Number one, evangelizing sinners. We've got to get back to doing what the early church did. What is that? Evangelism. Sharing the gospel. 
Jesus said, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's what we've got to be about. Why? Because the Lord wants us to do it. Well, what assurances do we have? The Lord will be with us. And then there is the edification of saints. We've got to not only evangelize, lead people to Christ, but once we get them in Christ, we've got to edify them. We've got to ground them in the faith. Teach them the ABCs of Christianity. Jesus said, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. We've got to tell people what to do to, to stay saved. And then to share that gospel with other people. Have you been baptized into Christ? If the answer is yes, then to borrow the words of Jesus, go and do likewise. Go find somebody else, teach them the gospel, and baptize them. And then ground them. Let me close by asking this question. Will you be willing to recommit to the Great Commission? Sometimes we forget our responsibilities. We have a tremendous responsibility. But here's the beauty of it. As Jesus said, the fields are white unto harvest. Everywhere you look, there's a prospect. I want to encourage you over the next few days, identify one person. Identify somebody and try to study with that person. Set up a study with them. Give them literature. Give them a, a CD. Give them something that will help lead them to Christ. Thank you for listening to the Anchor of the Soul. Your speaker has been Mike Hickson, preacher for the Olive Branch Church of Christ, located at 9100 East Sandage Road in Olive Branch, Mississippi. To hear this lesson again and to see video archives, go to olivebranchchurchofchrist.org. Tune in next Sunday for more of the Anchor of the Soul. Grounded firm and deep in the Savior's love.